Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible speaker, writer, coach, and expert on sexual communication, Marsha Baczynski. Hi, Marsha. Welcome to the show. Hi, so glad to be here. Our topic for today is on setting healthy boundaries. But before we get into that, let's learn a little bit more about Marsha. For those that don't know, Marsha Baczynski is a renowned speaker, writer, and coach on sexual communication, relationships, and women's empowerment. Her primary mission is to help women and the people who love them to overcome shame and get in touch with what they truly want, romantically, sexually, and relationally, even if it's off the beaten path. Marsha is the co-creator of Cuddle Party and founder of the Good Girl Recovery Program. Since 2003, she has worked with tens of thousands of people through her private coaching, workshops, and group programs, and made appearances in hundreds of magazines, news stories, radio interviews, and podcasts. Hello, Marsha. How are you doing today? I'm so great. I'm so happy to be here. I love what you're doing, and I love that I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, I love that you're here too. You know, we've known each other for a long time. I love all the work that you do in the world. I've been following it for a long time. You have so much interesting things to say and perspectives on love and relationships. And you're always doing something just innovative and fun. So tell our listeners, what are you working on right now in this moment? Well, obviously, with COVID happening, things have changed a lot in terms of what I was planning on doing. But uh, now that we're a couple months in, I've got a really exciting project. Um, I'm starting a membership for people who want to have access to a bunch of my online workshops. And uh, I'm also starting a weekly series called Touch Lab for people who are touch deprived or feeling kind of, uh, socially isolated in that way, um, and mm-hmm. want to get their touch needs met and might be isolated. So those will be both standalone. But if you're a member of, uh, what I'm calling the Thrive Hive, <laughs> you <laughs> can also come to the touch labs for free. It's part of the membership. So I'm really looking at ways to kind of get people's needs met while the world has kind of been turned upside down. So I'm curious, like, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are lacking in touch and connection. And even when I see somebody that I know, I really want to give them a hug. I really want to, you know, feel the experience of touch. So what are you what are you currently recommending for somebody who's lacking touch in their life? Well, so there's nothing that really substitutes fully for another Mm -hmm. human being. But that being said, there's a lot we can do actually to calm and soothe our nervous systems and to give ourselves a sense of that kind of stimulation. And and a lot of us, we're so dependent on other people to get those needs met. We have to actually learn how to, you know, slow down, feel up objects, like just the act of slowing down and like almost like when you're petting a cat. You know, you can kind of go into a trance when you pet a cat for a long time. It doesn't actually have to be a living creature. Or if you're like petting your child's hair or your lover's hair or something like that. 
Um, it turns out that if we actually just give ourselves the space to do those kinds of practices, mm-hmm. uh, it can be very soothing to our nervous system. And similarly, there's things like, um, you know, a lot of people love their weighted blankets, but not everybody has mm-hmm. one. Uh, so you can also use like a futon mattress or one of the things I've been recommending in my um, getting your touch needs met online workshops is, you know, take all your all your laundry out of the dryer when it's nice and warm and wrap it in a blanket and then crawl underneath the blanket. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds really goofy and silly. But when we actually like let ourselves have some weight and some heat and some some slowing down, it does soothe our nervous systems mm-hmm. um, in ways that are. Again, not quite as good as a person, right. but, but takes the edge off pretty considerably. So the touch labs are basically an opportunity to look at a different aspect of touch and go, okay, well, what do I have around the house that could help me experience that sensation and to do it in a way where you're with other people. So you kind of feel like you're connected. You're not isolated and, and you get to have that kind of fun experience of doing some play, like just playing and exploring with other people mm-hmm. and not, not alone. Um, I think that, that the, the connection part is such a, a key piece as well. So we've been having fun experimenting and I'm looking forward to doing more with that. Yeah, it's really important, you know, to think about, well, what else can we, you know, experience pleasurable touch with, whether it's a warm blanket or our pet or, you know, some a pillow that we might be spooning at night. And I feel like that's perfect for like, the kind of mm-hmm. person who is, you know, alone and isn't quarantined right now with somebody that they care about. And I'm almost want to like seg- use this as a segue into our topic of setting healthy boundaries, because a lot of people are kind of quarantined and almost stuck with almost too much time with their partner. Mm-hmm. Are you experiencing anybody who like, you know, is trying to work from home eight hours of the day and their partner keeps coming into the room and interrupting them and wanting affection and other forms of uh, attention that they aren't able to get at that moment? <laughs> you mean like me with my housemate where I'm like, hi, pay attention to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, sometimes it's with our partners, sometimes it's, it's with our kids, sometimes it's with our housemates, sometimes it's housemates, kids, and partners, and dogs, and cats, um, mm-hmm. you know, so there are definitely different situations that people are finding themselves in where, you know, um, I'm, I'm also hearing from a lot of people who are, are, you know, especially younger adults who have gone home to their parents' house, mm. and now they're adults in their their childhood homes and there's a lot of questions with boundaries so i'm finding that it's um really coming up in a lot of different scenarios where you know what are the boundaries now that it's just you all the time (laughs) (laughs) whoever the you is it's like i'm looking at you i'm bored at talking with you i want things from you um maybe the things i want from you aren't part of our usual relationship arrangement like again people who are you know with housemates or friends but maybe they weren't very physically affectionate before, but now they're finding themselves wanting to cuddle or, you know, needing to get work done and someone's really loud or, you know, I've been talking to people who are like, I didn't know my husband chewed so loudly until this (laughs) quarantine, you know? So there's a lot of like weird irritations and, you know, lack of diversity of stimulation, of social stimulation. Mm -hmm. And like, togetherness which in some cases is really fostering some really beautiful connections and in other cases is mm-hmm. driving people crazy and sometimes both actually right. so boundaries is really really a thing that's up for people at the moment because the norms have changed right like we can't hug our friends 
Mm-hmm. Maybe now we're trying to figure out how to get all the affectionate affection needs from either one person when like maybe you're the type of person who cuddles with your friends or, you know, uh, is non-monogamous or, you know, I have another friend who's like trapped at home with her 13 year old child and it's like, whoo, okay. And that, you know, the, the kid's trying to develop autonomy and like be an adolescent and have that whole experience. And it's just like mom's there all the time. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really complicated. It's really complicated. Um, and I think it's an issue that's kind of applying to almost everyone right now. Mm-hmm. Because we're like been confined in, in an area we're not used to with people we're not used to spending so much time with, I feel like many people do feel this level of being closed down because there's been all these artificial boundaries set up uh, by the way of life that we've been forced to adapt. So I really like that idea of sort of how do we recapture our autonomy? How do we set a healthy boundary from an empowering place for ourselves? Well, I think first we need to define what I mean when we're talking about boundaries. So I like to distinguish between a boundary and a limit. So mm-hmm. if you can think of it like a boundary is flexible and changes according to context and a limit is fairly static. And once it's crossed, it kind of creates damage. So like you can think about, you know, the skin on your body, on your arm. So like if you take your finger and you just sort of touch your skin, no big deal. And you could like press pretty hard, but there's a point at which if you push too hard, it actually breaks the skin. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that, that, that place where it bounces around is the boundary and the place where it breaks the skin is the limit. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about boundaries, I think about, you know, it's natural for them to change according to context. It's healthy and appropriate t- for them to be here one day and there tomorrow or here in this five minutes and, and there <laughs> in five minutes later. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that's challenging about that is that it requires uh, self-knowledge and kind of an awareness of where you're at at any given moment. And then the ability to communicate that to another person and the ability for, for that other person to hear it and to understand that if you're communicating a boundary rather than a limit or a wall, which I can talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. that if you're communicating a boundary, it isn't forever. This is where I'm at right now. And it could change mm-hmm. in, in any direction. And the mistake that I see a lot of people make is they set their boundaries right next to their limit. So when the boundaries cross, mm-hmm. the limit is also crossed. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm constantly encouraging my clients, because I most of the people I work with are, um, you know, good girls, nice guys, people who are like, overgivers and just want to make everybody around them happy and, you know, kind of trying right. to find themselves in, in their sexuality and their relationships and their lives. Um, so w- one of the really common issues my clients have is they give and give and give. And then they, they think that they're not allowed to have boundaries or the only boundaries that they're allowed to have are um, the ones that are right next to their limits and so and the thing I always say is like boundaries will get crossed accidentally. So mm-hmm. it's really a good idea to set them a little further out than you absolutely need them to be. So like if you need if you know you need two hours of alone time a day, you might start with I need two and a half hours of alone time a day. Mm. Like if you know that your bare minimum is two hours, like start at three hours or two and a half hours so that like when that inevitable 15 minutes of time impinges on either end, you're still getting what you need, you know, that kind of a thing. So like really looking at, well, what is it that I need, which requires noticing and valuing and honoring your needs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And then being able to communicate that in a way that is not about, you know, screw you, you're the bad guy, you're the enemy, um, which often happens when, you know, especially in new circumstances, we're clumsy, we don't know where the boundaries are, we cross them, especially if they haven't been communicated well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to communicate them, we need to communicate them, and we need to give ourselves buffer. And in giving ourselves buffer, that way, when something is like misunderstood, not clear, I'm assuming not maliciously crossed, although that does happen as well. And that's a different scenario. But like, you know, as people are learning how to be with each other in this lockdown situation that may continue for quite some time, um, kind of like we're all on a learning curve. So like, let's set ourselves up to win by not setting those boundaries right next to the point where I'm going to break if it's <laughs> crossed or, or even nudged. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I appreciate that that distinction. Saying boundaries are fluid; they're depending on the circumstances versus the limits which can which can actually cause damage to ourselves. And as we adapt to new circumstances, we have to set uh, new boundaries. So I'm kind of wondering, how do I know if my if I need a boundary? What kind of like things might I notice that I'm I'm doing and I'm not perhaps setting up a healthy enough boundary for myself? Um, resentment is a pretty good sign that there's probably some boundaries that need to be set in my experience. That's a, a really good mm-hmm. marker. Um, sometimes anger, anger can come from a lot of different sources, but that's usually one. Um, uh, resentment is an, e- an interesting one because resentment almost always means there is either a boundary or a desire that hasn't been communicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, I really weirdly enjoy working with resentment because I'm like, ooh, there's a gold mine down there. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, if you know how to reframe it. But yeah, resentment is usually a really good indicator that there's probably um, some boundaries that need to be mm-hmm. set. Another sort of clue is just irritability. Um, now, obviously, irritability can also come from like lack of sleep or feeling cooped up and not getting enough exercise or sunlight or whatever. There's a lot of reasons why we can be irritable. But I do think of boundaries and needs as being intimately related. When I think about boundaries, it's not just about what we're saying no to. It's also about what we're saying yes to. And I like to think of, I use a lot of metaphors when I talk about boundaries, but. Yeah, I, I like your skin metaphor. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So like, like being like a semi-permeable membrane, right? Like a semi-permeable membrane is going to keep out the bad things, ideally, which you want your boundaries to do. It's also going to let in the good things. So boundaries are about as much about saying no as they are about saying yes. Like where, where am I prioritizing my attention? You know, and and in, in sort of new age or personal growth communities, there's this kind of um, emphasis on being open and staying open, Mm -hmm. which I don't actually agree with. I think that the real skill with boundaries is being able to open and being able to close appropriately according to context. And you want to have both of those skills. You don't want to just be open because then all the bad stuff gets in too. And I think we've all seen scenarios where someone's like trying to stay open-minded and like ends up tolerating a really horrible human being or like a horrible job or, you know, uh, or a cult leader or what have you um, because they wanted to be open-hearted and open-minded. And there's value in being open-hearted and open-minded. Um, but we've also seen situations where you know, we're so closed down, we can't let good things in. And so the real skill I see about boundaries is being able to open and being able to close. And it's about that discernment and being able to notice like, oh, I need something or I want something. How can I open to that without opening to everything? Mm -hmm. 
and how can I, ooh, that thing seems bad for me, or I'm, I'm seeming to get really irritated with my partner or my housemate or whoever I'm trapped <laughs> with. <laughs> you know, how can I close to the thing that's irritating me without cutting off contact, without cutting off intimacy in the places that I want to have intimacy? So I think boundaries get a little bit of a bad rap, but I think they're also deeply misunderstood. I'm sort of combining a lot of the things that you're saying in my head. Is that first of all, there's a bit of a conundrum that comes up for like the helpful people, like the people that want to be a good partner, they want to be a helpful partner. And combining that with, okay, I need to do things for myself. Let's say you're like, you're at your computer and you're in the middle of something important. And then your partner comes in and they say, honey, I'm, I'm cooped up. I need to go for a walk. Or can you help me like with this household chore? And you have this dichotomy in your head. Well, I want to help this person. Mm-hmm. I want to be a good partner. I want them to be happy. But I also am in the middle of something and I feel like I need to set up some sort of boundary. And if I just go right ahead and and do it with this person, then I'm going to be a little uh, irritable later on. How in this like scenario, let's say you want to be alone or you want some alone time or you're in the middle of something and somebody is asking attention from you, how do we create that semi-permeable membrane that you're talking about? That's a great question. And I think one that a lot of people are dealing with right now. Pause. The pause to actually allow both things to be true at the same time. And um, I think a lot of, especially really helpful people, will have the tendency to, oh, my thing's not important. The other person's thing is important. I'm going to default to that. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly fine for any one interaction. But when it's cu- the cumulative effect of constantly down playing or or deprioritizing the thing you need whether it's alone time or work or what have you it has a cumulative effect of you know you're not getting the things you need you're you start to be cranky and resentful and you actually in the long term can't be a good partner to your partner when you're depleted to that extent so the pause of you know i think a lot of times we assume if someone's making a request, they mean right now and in, in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and pausing and, you know, saying, can I can, give, give me a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Let me get back to you in a minute or two minutes or five minutes. Just giving your buying a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of like pausing to evaluate where am I at in this moment? Is this email important? If it is, like, yeah, okay, like, yes, let's go for a walk after I finish this email, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm working on a book right now, so mm-hmm. I need giant chunks of uninterrupted time because if I get off my path, if I get off my groove, it takes me half an hour to 45 minutes to get back into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that might be a situation where it's like, I can go at four o'clock, like just get- and giving them a time. And, you know, we don't always get what we want, especially in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that pause to sort of notice and value everything that, that your needs are important. The other person's needs are important. All right. What do we do with all of this? Mm-hmm. And not making everything have to be in this exact moment. You know, and then also being really honest about where you're at. You know, if you're the person who is needing the alone time and your partner, I'm the social one. Mm-hmm. I have my office in my room and my housemate's office is in the dining room. So anytime I go out to the kitchen, I'm like, ooh, a person, I can talk to you. But like, he's got to get work done. He's, <laughs> you know, programming over there. Uh, <laughs> so I have to like rein it in <laughs> and be, be mindful. 
but, you know, having conversations about, you know, how does, how does your work day tend to go? What does your workflow tend to be? Um, a lot of times we'll have a check-in in the morning about what time lunch is going to be because so that we know when we can have a check-in chat in the middle of the day, which helps to meet my extrovert needs and helps to have his time be sort of protected when he needs to be heads down on his work. Um, mm-hmm. And so just having sort of uh, meta conversations about um, the desire to be available and then the realities of the limitations can be very helpful because, um, you know, a lot of us just unconsciously go to, I need to be available all the time or I'm quote unquote bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, we have those narratives and it's just really helpful to say, Oh, we talked about this and, and I'm, you know, it's 1030 now. And we said we were going to be free at 1130 today. I can wait an hour or I can say, can this wait until 1130? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just kind of playing around with the pause and then also playing around with having those meta conversations about um, how to structure time. And, and this is not not normally a thing I, I work with that much, but I'm finding a lot of my clients right now really are needing help sort of structuring all the daily activities and all the emotional needs in a, in you know, the four walls that we're all sort of stuck inside of. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been playing with that. Another sort of, this is not really an interpersonal boundary, but it is sort of like a psychological boundary between work and, you know, the rest of life when you're all in the apartment that I've been coming across a lot of people needing help with is how do you have boundaries between work and not work? Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that I've been finding really helpful is like lighting changes and music to sort of delineate Mm. Ah, okay. When those lights, when the, when the cool lights are on <laughs> or when the Christmas lights are on or when this kind of music, is, like we play this kind of music during the workday and we play that kind of music when it's not the workday. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of boundaries are also help, helpful and helping people who are trapped in a house together and like, wait, are we at work? Oh, I can put on my, if all the cues around me are, are work cues, then I'm not going to go to my partner in the middle of the workday quite as much mm-hmm. for emotional support or emotional socializing or what have you. Yeah, I like that distinction. Like sometimes we need spatial boundaries, like we need time to myself and time to have my own thoughts. And sometimes we need temporal boundaries. Like this time is work time, this time is personal time, this time is time with my partner. Which is all way easier if you're not dealing with kids because kids have their own sense of time (laughs) and space. <laughs> yeah, but even with kids, true. I mean, I've been working with some parents and I'm like, do you have a car? And they're like, yes, I have a car. I can't go anywhere. But I'm like, you don't need to go anywhere. What you need to do is get your noise canceling headphones and some really fluffy, comfy stuff and a glass of wine and a good book and go sit in the backseat of your car. And that's your isolation pod. And that has been a, a way of creating physical boundaries when there's kids in the house <laughs> or the other mm-hmm. parent can take care of the kids if there is another parent or if the kids are old enough to be alone. Where it's like, you don't mess with car, t- you don't mess with isolation pod time. Um, because a lot of people are running, I mean, we're seeing it on TV, right? Like, Tina Fey was doing a thing the other day and her daughter comes in while she's on Seth Meyers to tell her she's a loser, you know? And <laughs> kids are not very great at respecting boundaries. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, it's, everything's a little mushier at the moment. <laughs> I do think about the parent who puts their noise-canceling headphones on in the car in the garage. And on the one hand, that can be very healing. But on the other hand, I can also see like a little bit of guilt coming up, a little bit of like, am I a bad parent for like wanting this level of separation? 
And like the word boundaries sometimes has that negative connotation because it can seem synonymous with like having your guard up, keeping a sense of separation, keeping a sense of distance. You know, parents are told that their children are a 24-7 job and you signed up for it when you had them. So how do we get over like a sense of guilt, a sense of this is wrong, I should be totally open 100% of the time there for my partners and my family and my kids? You know, nothing is 24 24 hours anything you know we're we're dynamic individuals and you know as my friend Kendra Kunov always says you know boundaries occur everywhere in nature like every every edge of a stream is constantly changing where that edge is sometimes it's lower sometimes mm-hmm. it's higher mm-hmm. it changes moment to moment with the waves right um you can think of the ocean the ocean line or um how tree the edges of trees are never static they're always moving in the breeze so Boundaries are found everywhere in nature. They're 100% a part of how we are to be in this world. And Mm. if you need it, you need it. (laughs) (laughs) You got to do the things that in the long term and in the big picture make you better able to show up for your relationships. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things are asking for space or time, uh, hiding in the car in the garage, (laughs) you know. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, I I was joking with my housemate the other day. I was, you know, because, you know, he's the person I talk to the most these days. Um, But, you know, my dad, my dad had a sailboat and, you know, it was just every so often he's just like, I'm going down to the boat. I'm pretty sure he wasn't doing anything down at the boat other than just getting away from us. And my mom had her versions of that, too. So I had it modeled by both of my parents that it's okay to take time. Mm. Um, So I learned that it's okay to take time. And I think that's one of the things, one of the gifts we can give to our children is modeling that I'm here for you. I love you, but it is not an always on thing. Like I am going to go do the things I need to do so that I can show up for you more Mm. fully. And obviously if your kid is having a meltdown or is um, really struggling, which I know a lot of kids are right now, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be harder, but taking time to yourself to recharge should never be a source of guilt because Mm. I think it's valid for you to do on your own for yourself. But for some people, that's hard to get your head around. So you can, if that's a thing that's hard for you to get your head around, you can say, oh, so that I can be a better partner and a better parent, Mm. better lover, better friend. That's why I'm taking this time for myself. But you don't have to do it for other people. You can also do it just for yourself. (laughs) That's okay, too. (laughs) Uh, That's such a beautiful quote. Taking time to recharge should never be a source of guilt. Mm -hmm. I think I'll put that in a tweet after this show. (laughs) Please do. Okay, so taking time to recharge should never be a source of guilt. We should feel comfortable recognizing we have emotional needs and setting them up. And now I'm wondering the flip side of that. In that when your partner has set a sort of boundary or need of theirs that is implying a sort of distance or separation, how do you not take that personally? You know, I'm sure many partners, you know, they hear from their partner, oh, I'm not up for having sex tonight. And suddenly, you know, their mind is like, what? Are you not attracted to me anymore? Is the passion gone in our sex life? Is this it? Is this the end? Mm -hmm. So how do we sort of receive a boundary in sort of a non-judgmental way and, and, and respect it without simultaneously getting worried that like, are we breaking up right now? Well, so this is a really nuanced question, um, because sometimes we start setting boundaries before we set a big boundary, like breaking up. And also, if you're irritating me and I'm setting a boundary with you, it might be personal. (laughs) Um, So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would never say like, oh, just don't worry about it, because like, it really depends on the context. Now, that being said, I would look at what are the overall patterns 
that, uh, you know, is this an every single night? This is the boundary. Cause if it's an every single night thing, it might be a new reality. But if it's like tonight, uh, it might not be the big picture. And, you know, for a lot of, a lot of my clients who have sort of anxious attachment styles that whatever happened last can feel like the truth of what the whole narrative is. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was good five minutes ago, then we're good. And if it wasn't good five minutes ago, then there's like a lot of fretting and worrying. And, you know, that gets into attachment styles, which is a little bit outside the, the scope of this podcast, but there's some great resources online about that uh, and worth looking up. But um, if it's something you're worried about, I would not have the conversation in the moment because, you know, like real talk, people's libidos are down right now on the whole. Some people's are, some individuals are very up, but in, in everything that I've seen, on average, it's down. Mm-hmm. Um, people, and this also tracks with research we found from other natural, like from natural disasters, like after Hurricane Katrina, you know, it took two years for a lot of people to feel like their libido bounced back. Wow. And some of them never really bounced back. Stress lowers our libido for, I would say, probably about 70% of the population. And mm-hmm. I could be slightly off on that number. But from what I've read and the research I've seen, which is sadly underfunded, it is, you know, some people respond to stress by really all of a sudden having like a strong desire for sex. And, and that's one response and sometimes it's wanted and sometimes it's unwanted because if your libido goes up and you don't have somebody with you that can be really frustrating and hard um and it seems like about 70 percent of people their libido drops uh when there's a big uh natural disease they looked at like hurricane katrina and i'm trying to remember the other study that the other uh thing that that study Hmm. looked at maybe 9-11 actually i think it was 9-11 now that you mention it which tracked with my experience of living in New York that it took about two years for people to sort of feel kind of back to normal so wow. for some value of normal. It's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. And stress has, you know, a lot of adverse, a lot of adverse effects on our nervous systems and on our, our stress hormones and our sex hormones and all of those kinds of things. So, you know, if, if your partners are setting different boundaries than the, what they used to, and I think that's really the thing. It's like, if it's the same boundary it was before, it's probably not going to spike anything for you. But if it's a different boundary and it's one that you're not sure what it means, I would say don't address it in the moment. Because when somebody's saying a thing, usually, unless you're like having a calm conversation over a meal about the future, you know, usually when someone's setting a boundary in the moment, it feels up for them. Like it, there's a, like a moment of, of, awareness or impact or stress Mm -hmm. so like it's a good thing to sort of pause and be like the next day be like hey about last night um you know cool that you set the boundary uh i had some stuff come up when's a good time to talk about that is there a good time to talk about that are you up for having a conversation about that Mm -hmm. and you know maybe they are maybe they aren't and maybe that's a conversation you have in couples counseling or you know in your sort of date night or whatever, however you structure your relationship to have those kinds of conversations. I do recommend having a regular check-in time about stuff so that you don't have to put it on date night or have a fight right before you go to bed or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, that's Thursday night. We'll talk about that on Thursday night Uh, (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) This is a really rambly answer because it's a really nuanced question. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if your partner is saying something that sparks a fear of, oh, are we losing intimacy? Are we breaking up? Are we, are we distance? Are we ever going to have sex again? Pressuring them about that is usually not the move. Mm -hmm. Bringing curiosity giving it a little bit of space, maybe going and journaling about it or talking with a friend or talking to your counselor or whatever your sort of support network is under these circumstances. 
journaling I find to be very helpful for this is like, why am I upset? What was it that, what do I, what am I making this mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doing some of that work on my own so that I can then bring it to whoever, my partner, my housemate, whoever, uh, and, and sort of being like, okay, so this is, this is what I made that mean. Being able to say the meaning you're making out of it. Mm. And sometimes they're like, oh my God, that's not what I meant at all. Oh, cool. Now we can have a clarifying conversation about it. But giving some space, doing a little bit of processing on your own, um, and uh, and then you know having a, a time to talk about what was going on with that. And in that conversation, like, you know, if if your partner's saying like, I don't want to have sex today, it might be because they're just so stressed about money or the dishes or the childcare or what have you. Mm-hmm. That's actually the issue, not the sex especially for people who tend to have more responsive desire rather than spontaneous desire mm-hmm. in the bedroom, those stressors will make it harder to, you know, get in the mood or to want to be available or, or to be available for someone else to get things started. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that it's about the two of you and like you're, you know, you suddenly not being attractive, but more likely it's any number of other things that could be going <laughs> on. And so that curiosity rather than defensiveness of like, hey, what's going on for you? Like, how? help me understand what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can problem solve it. Or maybe this is just like, we have to ride it out like a bad high. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know what it is, but at least we're in it together now. and We're having some shared reality around it. No, I really appreciate that bringing a level of curiosity uh, to the conversation and to the boundary. I'm wondering if you're recommending a final renegotiation phase where let's say a partner is setting up a boundary and actually that might conflict uh, with maybe something that I'm wanting or needing in the situation. You know, maybe we had planned a date night and then the time comes and my partner says, well, I realize I'm just not up for it tonight. And then suddenly, like all the expectations and desires that I had suddenly vaporized. Yeah. So I'm wondering, you talked about not pressuring someone who set up a boundary. You don't want to like attack them and say, well, you know, this isn't what you said yesterday. Or, you know, this is the third time this week that you've set up this boundary. How do we have that clarifying conversation? How do we sort of get our mutual needs met in a in just a positive and connecting way? Yeah, so in that situation, that's a great example. So in that situation, like some things that I would look at is, you know, I want to be able to trust what my partner says, or maybe if I've been looking forward to something and everything else feels like it's being canceled, it feels extra fraught to have my partner also cancel on me when like, I'm also looking at a summer of canceled festivals and no summer camp or whatever the thing is. Um, Mm -hmm. There's often multiple layers to these kinds of things and bringing that sort of curiosity to yourself. Like, what was it that I, specifically, what was it? You know, what was the need? I think nonviolent communication has some great tools for looking at needs and desire, like needs and feelings. You know, when, when you canceled or when you set this boundary three times this week, I felt this and the underlying need Mm, was like mm -hmm. for predictability or certainty or connection, you know, and if it's, if it's predictability and certainty, that's a different thing than connection, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are different needs and maybe it's both, but fighting about, uh, fighting about whether or not the boundary is legitimate doesn't actually help you get Mm -hmm. those needs met. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, the boundary's there. I still have these needs. So instead of us fighting about the boundary, let's either now or tomorrow or in 
20 minutes or whatever. Like, not don't let it drag for a long time, but like soonish, but not immediately, maybe. Um, you know, talking about like, okay, please don't promise me stuff you can't follow through on, which might be one way of approaching it, which is really different than like, I don't need to connect right this second, but I need to know when we're going to connect or if we're going to connect or, you know, if you want that you want to connect, right? Because that's another piece is like, sometimes I don't even need the connection. I need to know that you want it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it's just like logistics in life getting in the way, that's a different story than, you know, you don't want to connect. Like if, if life is legit getting in the way, then we've got a different problem to solve than if you don't want it because then I'm actually being rejected. So it, it it's really easy to make meaning when our partner is setting a boundary or for your partner to make meaning when you're setting a boundary. So looking at, well, what is the thing underneath and valuing those needs as legitimate? One of the ways that I always help people distinguish the difference between a need and a strategy for getting a need met, like a lot of times we say, well, I need you to show up at this time and do this thing. That's not a need. That's a strategy (laughs) for getting a need met. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the way you can tell the difference is usually strategies have a lot more words than needs do. (laughs) (laughs) Like I need you to do blank is usually a strategy. (laughs) Right. I have a need for certainty, predictability, connection, intimacy, um, affection, care, attention. Those are those are needs. Um, how mm, they get met mm-hmm. might look a lot of different ways. And so if you get away from those strategies, then there starts to be some room for creativity and how those needs get met um, rather than just fighting about, well, I have this need for you to do this this particular way, which isn't a need. That's a strategy. Well, I have a boundary around that piece of that particular thing. Okay, now we're in conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so piecing that out can be a little bit challenging, especially when you're in the heat of the moment, which is why I really do recommend having people you can talk to, counselors, therapists, coaches, um, just someone outside of your head and outside of your relationship, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, again, a partner, kids, parents, or housemates, whoever you're, you're trapped with, someone outside <laughs> of your home <laughs> to talk to about it. Because you need that reflection sometimes to actually even understand what the hell's going on for you. I think that's a really important distinction, you know, but when expressing a need is alternatively actually just a strategy. And I'm also wondering the same thing around boundaries of basically like when a boundary or if someone setting a boundary is either a sign of something deeper, like going wrong potentially, or just a strategy in order to get something else that they want. I'm almost imagining like a very extreme situation where a partner says, honey, I need this entire weekend to myself and I'm going to turn my phone off and I don't want to talk to you at all. And it turns out that they're like cheating on their partner and this is like, this is their way of doing it. Or another partner being like, honey, I only want to see you two days out of the week from now on. And it's actually just a strategy like on their way to breaking up. So I'm wondering, like, when is a boundary like somebody running away? When is a boundary somebody using as a strategy? When is a boundary actually a sign of something potentially damaging happening underneath? That's a complicated question. I mean, I wish there was like a quick, I think a lot of people wish there was a quick handbook on that. Like, you'll just look it up in the book. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that one's a green light. <laughs> um, but the the fact of the matter is, is two people could be doing the exact same thing for wildly different reasons. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've been in situations where I've, I've had like a partner who like screwed me over, like ghosted after a long time we we're in the relationship. 
um, and then had another subsequent partner do the exact same thing. And not only was it not triggering, it had no relationship to why the other person, like same boundary, totally different motivations, totally different contexts. Mm-hmm. So the, the, I would say it's not really about the boundary itself. It's about all the rest of the context that it's happening with. There's a few things. I mean, obviously listening to your gut as part of it, um, getting reflection from trusted people who who have been observing the relationship mm-hmm. um the other thing is that at the end of the day like boundaries are a negotiation the shore and the ocean negotiate with each other mm. the shore affects the water the water affects the shoreline that's what boundaries are it's not i have a boundary screw you you've got to deal with it it is a negotiation and mm. in a partnership it's a negotiation together to work towards happy healthy functioning mm-hmm. And when it starts to get combative and when we forget that we're actually ideally working together or when one partner isn't actually interested in a partnership (laughs) (laughs) and a collaboration in a, in a co-creation, you know, you're going to have a lot more friction. And Mm -hmm. so if somebody's got one foot out the door, there may be more struggle. There may be more unhappiness, but you know, also we're under quarantine and, and, Frankly, a lot of our boundaries, a lot of our own boundaries have been decided by an outside force right now, mm-hmm. namely the government uh, and a virus. <laughs> so like even if the government wasn't saying stay home, a lot of us would be staying home because we don't want to get sick and we don't want to get the people we love sick. So our boundaries are being decided for us. And then that also st- sort of screws with our sense of autonomy and uh, can create a lot of stress and combativeness. Um, so I, I can't say that there's like, a really clear, obvious thing, but I would say, like, are, in general, is there a sense of you're kind of working together on finding a way to function together in under these circumstances, whatever the circumstances are? You know, in general, you know, some of the things I sort of look at is like, you know, if you feel good with a person when you're with a person, how do you feel after you see them? Do you feel better? Do you feel good after you see them? Do you feel bad after you see them? Mm-hmm. What is your gut saying? If your gut's saying a lot of conflicting things, that's usually a sign in and of itself that something's off. Mm. Uh, it's not always like so clear. Sometimes the lack of clarity is the thing that makes it clear that this isn't working. And it's it's just a really, really stressful time right now. I mean, a lot of people are experiencing significant economic insecurity which can put pressure on relationships because now all of a sudden it's not like oh we're together because we're choosing to be it might be we're we're together because we have no choice because this is the only way i can imagine getting through a pandemic getting through a recession etc so and i just want to acknowledge that that reality um that we're not operating inside of a a sort of abundant and free world at the moment there's um some of us never have been but it's definitely uh much more restricted than it was two months ago Mm -hmm. so you know that that sense of i don't know if this person has my back i don't know if this person is interested in actually working with me on these problems that a lot of times is a sign that Maybe they're not. Um, or maybe they're saying one thing and doing another. And it may be that everyone's intentions are the same, but like the how is the, is the misalignment. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you have one person who is extremely social and extremely extroverted and really has a, has a value around their partner being with them at all the events and that part, and they're dating someone who's like needs a lot of alone time, just to keep using our example of alone <laughs> time, you know, it may just not be compatible. Mm. 
And that's one of the things boundaries can help us highlight is places of compatibility, places of incompatibility. And then it's like, well, can I work with this incompatibility or is it actually a deal breaker? Because all of us have minor incompatibilities and even the best of relationships. Mm. It's like, well, you're, you know, you're a morning person and I'm a night owl or whatever. Those things also, interestingly, in a long-term relationship, things that can be friction points at one point in the relationship can also be uh, smooth sailing in other parts of the relationship or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my parents, my mom, not a morning person. My dad, like, up at 5 a.m. every morning. Now he gets up at 4.30. (laughs) (laughs) And when we were younger, that was a little bit of a point of friction. And then then when they both retired, it was how they both had lives independent of one another while still having overlap. (laughs) My mom had her night times and my dad had his mornings. (laughs) So it's interesting how that works. Now I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, I love, it's, it's like poetry. The shore and the ocean negotiate with each other. And it's a beautiful and wonderful dance that, that is just being in relationship and being with another person is we all have needs, we all have emotions. And discovering, you know, in that dance, just the way that our love for ourselves and our love for each other can really blossom. And that's what I kind of wanted to lead into in my next question was, so far we've been talking about the boundaries we might need for ourselves, like the boundaries between myself and my kids, myself and my housemates and my partners. I'm wondering in the partnership itself um, between two people, what boundaries do you think are really helpful to have with the external world? Like what boundaries around a partnership or a coupleship are really healthy to have to really encourage a flourishing of love between two people? So I think we're all getting a crash course in boundaries um, right now with having to stay within our households and, okay, how do we define our households and what is your household if you're co-parenting with another parent in another physical location and, you know, what are the priorities around that? And I know that's been really a painful conversation for a lot of people about basically who's in and who's out hmm. um, for the purposes of isolation and then what resources are available based on that. Um, so that's, that's sort of a a challenging conversation, but I think even in normal times, you know, all relationships I would say are made up of walls and windows. And I think a relationship that has too many windows where everyone can see everything that's going on inside of it becomes performative and not private enough for, for like the real gritty stuff to emerge and a relationship that has too many walls where no one can see in, you know, you're not getting witnessed or, Mm. and that also like uh, frequently in situations where there's too many walls, there's also like potential for, you know, abuse dynamics and things like that. But what is too many walls and what is too many windows is very subjective Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately because there's a big middle ground and some people are more private than others. um, And some people really are like exhibitionists and you know people like never want anything anyone (laughs) to know anything about them (laughs) um so those like finding and those are those are boundaries about the relationship in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. um also individuals you can have individuals who have walls and windows that metaphor works for both the individual and the couple you know as far as what is important it's going to depend a lot on things like what are the love languages of the people in the relationship like if quality time Mm -hmm. is a love language for both people you know, having boundaries around interruptions or distractions or other people sort of pulling at attention are going to be an important boundary for that couple. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think for, you know, couples where acts of service is a very important thing, like it may be the case that you don't send certain services out of the house because it's actually important to keep those in the house. Like, you know, maybe, I don't know, this is not my love language, but so I'm going to like make this up. But like, you know, for some people it's, it is like, I want to do my la- I want to do the laundry for my household because that's the way I show love. Mm. Right. Me, I have no, whatever, send it out. I don't care. <laughs> I, have no, I just want it done. <laughs> I don't care. But you know, if it's, if that's a way that someone's expressing love, like this sounds really odd, but maybe you don't hire help. Maybe the help is in the house and that's the thing that is the way that the love is shown. And that doesn't really sound like a boundary because it sounds like a luxury and a privilege. But for some people Mm -hmm. that is, you know, if cooking is the way you show love, like maybe you don't order out or eat or well, nobody's eating out now, but you know what I'm saying? Like having those things be protected or having, having those things be honored as a way of the relationship, having its, its ways of flourishing and not sort of, especially if it's not your it's not one partner's love language. So like, if it's not my thing, still like holding the boundary around the relationship, even though it's not my thing so that it can flourish Mm -hmm. and that the relationship can have its expression is the way I like to put it. Like, how does the Mm -hmm. relationship want to have its expression in the same way we need to protect our self-expression. We need to protect our relational expression, Mm -hmm. which really gets to like also making sure that, that you're resourced. Right. And that goes back to, well, if you're not resourced, if you need alone time and you're not getting it, you're not resourced for the relationship. Or if you need social time and you're not getting it, you're not resourced for the relationship, exercise, fresh air, whatever. Yeah, I really love that concept of practicing and honoring your relationship. And I'm almost wondering about like this stereotype of the overbearing mother-in-law who tells their child that their partner isn't the right person for them. Or maybe like one partner just spends too much time, you know, too much time in, not in a non-judgmental way, like with their friends who maybe don't approve of, of their their partner and, and say bad things about them. And sort of how we might go around like navigating when like outside energies might be sort of bringing a level of negativity into our relationship that's not serving it. Well, I think it's important to evaluate the role of this person in your life. If this is a friend that has actually always been really trustworthy about all of your previous relationships and they suddenly have a problem with this one, that might be for a couple of reasons. One, it might be they're picking up something that you're not, <laughs> you know, hmm. or the other, it might be that they're used to being the trustworthy one. And now there's a new person on the block who's just as trustworthy and they're losing their position and they might be worried about losing their position or their specialness. Hmm. Uh, so it could be kind of either of those things with in-laws and parents that's a much more complicated one. And a lot of my clients actually have complicated relationships with their parents, it turns out, particularly around boundaries, because I do so much boundary work with my clients that I tend to get a lot of a lot of clients with parents who have boundary issues. Like if you're an adult, and your parent can't accept that you're an adult, that's a bigger boundary issue that isn't really about your partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've seen situations where, you know, the person who's co- sort of caught in the middle between their own parent and their partner kind of just tries to placate everyone. And what ends up happening is no one's happy. The person in the middle ends up suffering a lot. And the relationship that they most want to maintain, whether it's with the partner or with the parent, sustains quite a bit of damage. So like at some point, it's really incumbent on the person who's sort of trapped in that position. It's not fair, but it's really incumbent upon the person who's trapped in that situation to make choices and to start 
really clearly, again, setting those boundaries a little further out than they need to be, not bumping them straight up against what the actual limit is, but actually creating a buffer such that when that boundary is crossed, which usually if there's a boundary pusher, it will almost always be pushed, um, that that boundary is not set up right next to the limit such that harm occurs. Mm. It's like, okay, well, we said we would go on this trip for, I think our tolerance is maybe three days, but we said we'd go for one night. Okay, if we get pushed for two nights, we're still within our clearance of toleration of three days. <laughs> you know mm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not that anyone's traveling right now again, but <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to come up with examples sometimes <laughs> these days. But yeah, sort of acknowledging like this person's a boundary pusher and I need to start treating them that way and I need to start setting my boundaries accordingly. Mm-hmm. I'm not sort of hoping that they'll change. Mm-hmm. Um, and setting setting your boundaries such that if it's not actually where the limit is, where harm occurs, or it's like, okay, well, this is what I'm setting the boundary. And when they push because I know they will, and I'm maybe not good at pushing back yet, then at least I am seeing them push my boundary and I'm not being harmed because I mm. built a buffer in. And while that's going on, I would say, you know, keep working on your own boundary work on on setting those boundaries with those boundary pushers mm. and and giving them consequences to their actions, whatever that looks like in whatever context mm-hmm. that it's in. Well... You know, I feel really bad right now, Marsha, because I'm going to have to set up a boundary. And I know we already decided that uh, that taking time uh, to set a boundary shouldn't be a source of guilt. But we are basically out of time. I don't feel bad because <laughs> um, you were so... very clear at the beginning about how long you had. <laughs> so I was expecting you to cut me off any second now, even though I, too, would love to keep talking to you. <laughs> I know, but I still, you know, it's in me, you know, I feel it coming up. Which if I can turn that into a teaching point, you said it ahead of time. I was clear. We yep. had an understanding and agreement. It it makes me trust you more when you stick to that mm, agreement. Okay, that's good. Oh. <laughs> when you stick to your boundary. So it's good. So I want to finish with a question I kind of, um, I love asking all my guests, which is, what do you wish that everyone knew about love? Mm. I really wish people knew about love that it's not a zero sum game mm. that it's that real love is is just there it just exists it, it like if it's a if it's if there's a win and a lose then you're talking about something else and that something else might be valuable but it's not love mm. love is not a zero sum game that love is just there mm. love is not a zero sum game when it's present, it makes things bigger, hmm. not less. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <sighs> Thank you so much, Marsha, for coming on to the show. I really appreciate everything that you have to say. And tell our listeners, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can, I have a, actually a course on boundaries called the Better Boundaries Crash Course, which you can find on my website, askingforwhatyouwant.com. And if you want information about my membership, about touch labs, about coaching, any of that stuff, Go to askingforwhatyouwant.com slash now, which tells you what I'm doing right now. Mm. I love your website, askingforwhatyouwant.com. Aw, thanks. All right. Thank you again, Marsh, for coming on the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember that taking time to recharge should never be a source of guilt. And the shore and the ocean always negotiate with each other. And love is not a zero-sum game. But the more love we have, the bigger it gets. And we hope you are setting up healthy boundaries, both for your relationship, for yourself, for your own healing and growth and happiness and joy. 
Thank you so much for listening. My name is Zach Beach. You can learn more about me at ZachBeach.com. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 